This is Musicians Can Thrive, a podcast for anyone seeking to make money in the music industry. Musicians, audio engineers, managers, producers, venue owners, booking agents, everyone across all niches. Welcome. I'm Gabrielle Pittman, and I love music. Listening to it, writing it, producing it, living, breathing, and all that jazz. Man, straight out of birth, I just remember just always singing all the time as a kid. Um, my first moment of being recognized as a decent singer was by my fourth grade teacher. Uh, when we were in fourth grade, you always line up and line, and you uh, you always walk as a group, and so like you kind of look like like that snake game like on your phone or uh, whatever it is. Singer, songwriter, guitarist, solo performer, member of a big band. Josh Klaus is a musician who wears many hats. His band Fierce Kelly has plenty of gigs around Austin, and Josh has plenty of gigs where he performs alone. Diversity is the key to being able to fully support yourself with money you earn in the world of music, and Josh has learned the power of that firsthand. I was just humming or singing Amazing Grace and because uh, I went to a little private Christian school when I was a kid and she looked at me and she goes you have a decent voice Josh or I don't know if she said decent I think she said good because I don't think she knew what I decent meant and I just remember like that made me feel so good and I remember thinking like wow like I can make people feel good singing and I can also feel good doing it and then moving into uh, my teenage years um, uh, for those of you listening, I'm a very short person, and I've stayed short my whole life. Um, and when you're a short man, especially who's uh, who's into women, um, being short is not a tool. Um, <laughs> no one ever says, "Oh my God, that guy's so hot. He's so short. You can barely see him." And um, so my dad luckily played music when I was a kid. I mean, when he was a kid, and he 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 pulled me aside one day when I was 14 and just frustrated. No girls were acknowledging me and um, he's like Josh a woman loves a man who can sing a woman loves a man who can play guitar and if you can do both you got it made <laughs> and that was all the advice I needed as a 14 year old kid struggling to get a girl just to notice me if, if not just kiss me um, and so I started to learn to play guitar um, I taught myself it was just something you did after school it was a year later my parents said okay summertime you just finished your first year of high school it's time for you to get a summer job and I did not want to get a summer job. I was like, the idea of flipping burgers or working at Bed Bath & Beyond or any other one of those fluorescently lit corporate hellholes would just like really filled me with despair. And so I was like, <laughs> well, just let me take my guitar case and let me take it to the local strip mall where there was a Starbucks. And that's where a lot of people hung out. And let me just open the case, sit out there with a the chair and just play for tips. And no, no amplification, just sing out loud. And, and they said, okay, if you can do that and you make enough money, we'll get off your back and you can just do that. So I remember doing that and just sitting out there for two to three hours, just, they, they would just drop me off. They might go see a movie because it was right across the street or do errands. And then they would come back and they say, how are you doing? I would just open up my case and there would be between 50 to hundred bucks in there. And for a kid at my age, I was like, I didn't know what the value of money was. I was just trying to not work. And so if this enough, enough money was for them to get me off get them off my back, I was okay with that. Um, and then from then, the rest is history. I just realized that 
music brought me three things. It brought me joy. It brought me attention from the opposite sex. And it brought me uh, a, a income. Um, and so the, I just realized that that was a really cool thing. And so I had been doing it for 15 years since then. And here I am now doing it uh, full time for the first time uh, because I realized that life is long and you should do what you want if you can do it. Yeah, that's that was badass. A answer. No, that is totally okay. I cannot believe that that was your summer job. That's so smart. I was very lucky. Wow. I got into babysitting, so that was my thing. (laughs) I was just like, I'm the oldest of four. I'm good with kids. It was easy money for me, and I'm shy. So busking was so intimidating, especially because, like, at that age, I had just moved here to Austin, and this city scared me. (laughs) You know, it scared me, too, because I saw saw two extremes. I I saw the guys on the drag who were, you know, playing their guitar with their pet pit bulls, you know, with all yeah. of the dirty, you know, you know, hippie guys. And then I saw the successful people and I was like, oh man, that's, you're either homeless or you're happy or you're successful. And, um, I was like, those are my two options. So I might as well pick the safe route. And that's what happened when I got to college. But when I was 15, like I had nothing to lose. Actually, I had a lot to gain. I, I was, I was gaining a lot more free time. So I didn't have to go, you know, work at that. Yeah. I guess that was enough of a fear all it takes to make money as a musician is to simply start making it a priority it might not be a lot when you first start out but being willing to put yourself in situations where you can make money from music is the first step even if all you're doing is busking outside your local coffee shop for tips next josh and i talk about songwriting That's what I think is so amazing about infatuation is like you can make a bad person seem great. Yep. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then it turns into a great song afterwards. (laughs) That's what my dad always told me too. He's like, keep dating girls because you'll keep getting songs. And I was like, all right. That's so smart. My dad, he like, it kind of became a standing joke about how all of my songs were filled with unrequited love angst. And like, on the one hand, I had a lot of crushes over the years, but on the other hand, like, I was not that boy crazy. It's just, love songs are fun to write. And some of the best songs out there are love songs. So I would hear something, I'd be like, wow, I want to write a song like that. So I was like 12, 13, trying to write these, like, love songs when I hadn't even experienced something like that. And I mean, it, it taught me how to write songs like that, but also... I got teased a lot for having that be, like, the primary subject matter. Me too, man. Yeah, no one's thinking about love when they're at that age. I think that was a very lonely realization when really? I was that age. It was like, I was writing about those things too, and then no one really, you, no one could relate that was your age. Now, okay, people yeah. People were older than you could relate. Yeah. Uh, but you were just trying to emulate something that someone else had done without experiencing it. I think that's easier to do. It's like painting something that an image that you it's like tracing, you know. Okay, I mean? yeah, yeah. So but you're not doing it from scratch because you don't have that feeling yet. Yeah. And then as you get that feeling, you then can do it on your own. At least that's how I find it. I don't know if that's how you find it. No, that really makes sense. That's I've never heard it put that way, but that's pretty much how I went about doing it. Yeah. So I'm curious about your writing process now, because I'm sure you write the material for Fierce Kelly. Oh, that's that's a good assumption. 
Um, cause most lead singers do do that. Um, but it's actually, I would say I take very much a backseat in Fierce Kelly. Wow. Um, with Fierce Kelly, there are some songs that I write. So here's what happens with Fierce Kelly. So it's like, there's five people in the band. So it's, it's me, my brother, my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law and a guy named Graham. And, uh, but we love Graham. He's uncle Graham. He's fantastic. But he's just not related to us in any way. Um, so someone will come up with a melody, either vocal or on the instrument, and we'll bring it to the group, and then we'll try to hash out until the melody really becomes somewhat catchy and good. And then from that structure, we then try to come up with a theme. And usually someone tells a story of something that's happened in their life. So for example, we're, we've been recording this song called Cutting with Stone, and our bass player, Graham, uh, he's had a really hard life like he's just had a tough life and so that's great for stories right oh yeah so from a from a, from a uh, middle <laughs> middle upper class white kid from the suburbs i don't think i have any interesting stories like oh you know didn't get that car i wanted you know? heart gets broken oh, yeah, yeah that's about <laughs> it right so for him it's like you know he's seen friends of his die from overdose of drugs and I, that's oh. not something i can even relate to so he's bringing up some of these stories and like this one story that he brought up about um, someone really close to him always promising to get clean but never does. And So that's just like such amazing raw material for the song. And then uh, my brother-in-law, Dan, he's an author. So he writes books for, for a living. And so he is an amazing wordsmith. So he'll just throw out random phrases like, does this sound good? He tries to sometimes make it a little too complicated. And we have to remind him that most people are listening you know, have a basic vocabulary. So then we try to, we get the song right, and then we get it, and then we try to have the whole band rehearse it to give the, that song the feel that we want it to have. Um, so with that song, it has a little bit more of a darker feel. It's in a minor key, um, and it's just this, it's a really fun song to sing uh, because, yeah, just that passion that you're singing about, about that person, like, why are you continuing to do this one? You know, I love you so much, and it hurts me every time you do. Yeah. It promises to me. So, yeah, that's the songwriting process with Fierce Kelly. It's really collaborative, and I've never done that before. It sounds like a very organic songwriting process. Yes, and that's positive and in a negative. Uh, because um, one of the things you learn early on with collaboration is you, the phrase called kill your darlings. Yep. Yep. So something you, you feel is great may not. And you have to be very comfortable with killing your darling. <laughs> and so a lot of feelings are tied up in your ideas. So you kind of have to like learn to get your feelings out of it. Honestly, just me saying this now, I think that's subconsciously one of the reasons why I should take a back seat because I just don't want people to think I have bad ideas. So I'm like, all right, you just go ahead and come up with your ideas and, and do it and it'll be all right. Um, I'm just the performer. I'm the guy who sings. But I think there are definitely times where I have decent ideas and I write better with certain people within the band like my brother I mean we've been writing forever you know, we've been writing since high school so it's easier to write with him because he knows me I know him yeah we can bounce off of each other in a positive way uh, whereas some of the other people it's a little bit more of a clash but I just think <laughs> that's just because it's I'm a pretty intense person and an intense person and an intense person coming together can be very fiery it's like two magnets with the same poles yes Yes, and so it can be very, very hard. My brother is a very relaxed, chill person. So it's very hard to get under his skin. Yeah. Which makes him a, a 
So I'm writing pregnant. <laughs> That's cool. So it sounds like you guys aren't really ever trying to go into a song being like, I want to write a hit for this reason, or I want to do this song because I think this kind of audience is going to like it. Or maybe you do. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's the... I think... It's so funny. We were talking about this the other day. Because I I really don't want to do that. Right. <laughs> but I know the importance of it. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's the age-old argument of do you be an artist or do you be a commercial salesman? You know? And it's... um I see the merits of both. And I think one thing I just really came to terms with is that you want to write songs that move you and if they happen to move other people I mean that's the whole goal of music right to make other people happy and to feel stuff they don't normally feel because if you I mean if you think about life it's a very especially if you have to work you know 40 50 hours a week it'd be a very tiring thing and maybe the one time that people have enjoyment is like listening to music or watching a film or something like that and if you um if you're always trying to guess what people are feeling, I think you'll always be a step behind. So if you're just true to your vision and if you're true to what you think, like, I think this is what I feel right now and I want to capture this. And obviously you want to mirror it onto the modern day sound because you want it to reach people. Um, then you can help reach people. Um, so I think that's the thing that I've kind of come to grips with is like, okay, I can still have my artistry, but I still want to do it in a way where I reach a lot of people and I want yeah. to be able to, I want to do that as well. But I don't know if there's ever a right answer. I think there'll always be that tug because art is one of those things where... It's very subjective. It's subjective and unfortunately you have to make a living. Yeah. And you can't make a living by playing Icelandic flute music. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, even though there's probably nothing wrong with Icelandic flute music, it's just like, people are picky. And people sometimes like to be told what they should like. Like my one of my favorite moments in, in music history is when the Beatles played their concert on the roof, like right towards the end of their career, before John Lennon was shot. So what they did is that they just went on a roof and they just started playing music. And it took about, I don't know the exact time, but it took maybe 30 minutes to an hour before somebody actually noticed, like, oh shit, that's the Beatles. Everyone was just walking by. Because if you're not told someone's famous, you're not, you're not going to care. Yeah. Sometimes you have to be told. Like, like if someone gives you a piece of cheese, for example, and you eat it, you're like, I really like this. Like, well, this is from the southern region of Provence and was aged to perfection by the inventor of cheese. And you're like, oh, wait, no, I really like it. I can tell someone else. Because it's like, we're in an age now where, like, no one can really make up their own mind. Everybody yeah. wants to be told what they should think. And so that's a hard thing with art because the whole goal is like you're just expressing yourself and you want other people to make up their own mind. Yeah. But if you literally have a music machine that's like, hey, here's Beyonce, here's Justin Bieber, here's Rihanna, go, listen to them. Everybody else, fuck those guys. Can I curse on this show? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> fuck those guys. You know? It's so funny to me that no one's willing to pay a $5 cover to see a show, but they're willing to pay $65 right. for a show for one song that they've heard on the radio. Oh, my God. Their whole album. It's, it's weird. But I, I get it because it's like, should I go to that restaurant? Well, let's check out the Yelp review. Because you can't just do it. You can't just experience it. You have to, you have to verify. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you told me that you are now a full-time musician. I'm that curious. What made you want to get to that point, and how did you get to that point? Well, 
Actually, I never dreamed that I would. Really? It was something that my parents especially said, if you want to do this, you can. Like, you have the talent and the ability to do it. And I just never believed them. Because um, I was under the impression that talent is not a guarantee. Um, because I saw a lot of talented people who weren't successful. Yeah. And, um, like, so for me, it was just like, I'll do it because I can, and I'll just play on the side. You know, this is in my early 20s. It's like, I'll, I'll go to college, I'll do schooling, I'll just play, you know, every now and then just to do it. And then, um, basically what happens, it's like, it's like a small business. So you basically just start developing relationships with people and you just want to play more and more and more. And I just remember this one point, I think it was just a couple of months ago, where I just looked at my, I have like this sheet of like all the gigs that I have and the money that I'm making from each gig. And yeah. I was like, oh man, I can support myself. Like, so I had this like calculated moment. I'm like, okay, I can actually do this. Like I can actually support myself playing music. Um, but most of the gigs I play are, are cover gigs. They're not my original music. Oh, um, okay. So are these one, your solo gigs? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the one reason I the one reason I did it was to challenge myself and say, if you really want to do this music thing, you can't just play cover gigs your whole life. You have to try and write your own music and be proud of your own music. Because one of the biggest drivers for me to not play was fear. Yeah. I was afraid of being broke. I was afraid of playing my original song and no one clapping. I was afraid of so many things. And instead of just being brave and going up there and playing, like it's a lot, it's easier to go to Housewine and play a song you've been playing for five years than to play something new. Um, because everyone loves that old song that you play, you know? And it's, and it's, it's, it's the same reason the Rolling Stones can still tour with, you know, get no satisfaction. It's, it's, it appeals to something when somebody likes something. Um, but I realized that I needed to challenge myself in a way that I've never challenged myself before because I've usually, my whole life pretty much played it safe. I grew up in a really cushy life and never really taken risks in my life. And I feel like this is one of the few times I've taken a risk in my life and um, I want to see how it goes. So, and it's fun, you know, you know what it is. It's music is fun. Yeah. It's like you're getting paid to sing and play guitar. I mean, that's a great job. <laughs> Like, I can't, the only time I've ever been able to find a negative thing about my job is someone is drunk and obnoxious and they get mad at a song you don't know how to play. Yeah. Other than that, people come up to me like, oh my God, that was amazing. The song you played, like, you know, my father, that was the song he requested at his funeral or like, oh my God, you played our wedding song. It's like, everything is always positive. So it's just like, it's, there's no downside to it. Yeah. So I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> Why am I working in an office? You know, it's like, it was like, it was such a weird thing. Um, yeah. Well, that's badass. Congrats. Thank you. It's You're a welcome. long time to get here, but, um, I'm very happy I'm here. Yeah. It's a very relaxed lifestyle. I mean, being able to get to the point where you can support all of your life expenses just with music, I'd say in itself is a pretty big occasion, milestone, whatever you want to call it. I'd say that's a making it moment as a musician. I hope so. Um, yeah, I think one of the things you I always have to keep in mind of is like, don't get comfortable because then if you get comfortable, you you won't want to challenge yourself. Yeah. And I've also structured my life in a way where my expenses are very minimal. Like I live in a house with my wife, my brother, and his uh, soon-to-be wife. So okay. actually, most of the members of Fierce Kelly. And the reason is is because I think it's I think it's I think there are a lot of um, 
like dumb traditions that we have in life. Yeah. And one of those is like, oh, you get married, you should be living on your own. And so I was like, well, why can't I just live in a house with other people and split the rent four ways instead of two ways? Like, yeah. oh, that's not how we do it. And I'm like, well, I don't care how you do it. I was like, this is a lot cheaper. And I get to hang out with two people I really like all the time. And it makes being a musician feasible while right. you have a low level of income with There's it. There's a reason why musicians live in communes. Yeah. It's because communes are cheap. Yeah. And they're fun. We've made it about halfway through the show, and we're going to pause for a quick moment. Ads are irritating distractions, so that will never be a part of the Musicians Can Thrive podcast. There are three things you can do that would be super helpful to me, though. One, whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, subscribe. Two, share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. Text it to them, email it, or post it on your favorite social media platform. Three, if you're feeling extra generous, leave a quick review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate your support. Back to the show. There's this idea that moving to a music city is a helpful thing to do for your career. So I asked Josh his perspective about that. So, like, the best possible life... Um... I think my ideal, and I think it's probably a pretty lofty goal, but I would really like to walk out onto a stage and maybe a room of 200 people to infinity. I think 200 people is a good number. Where people are there to see me play my own music. Yeah. I think, and people I don't know. Like, if I go to Livingston, Montana, yeah. Like, then I, and if 200 people show up to see me play, that would feel really good. Um, because it means that I made an impact in somebody's life and someone who didn't owe me anything. Like, they didn't, they're not my family, they're not my friends. They just wanted to, for some reason, my music, they liked it. And, uh, and to see people smile and sing along, uh, that's a, I think that would be a really great. I think that's when I would be like, all right, this is really good. I really like Right. Um, but that takes a lot of work to get there. And you have to compete with a lot of people who want to do the same thing. And, um, yeah, maybe it doesn't need to be 200. But I think there's just that moment where, yeah, you just made an impact in somebody's life. It's a really profound moment. Success means something different to everyone. And in this new world where all of the rules are gone, whatever your dream happens to be, odds are you can make it happen. But you have to know exactly what you want so that you can start building it. That's the first step. All it takes. I think that's why Austin's a pretty great town. Is that there's a little almost like micro economy of music here. So if you want to go see music for free or for a very low price, you can support a little local community here. Yeah, I'm sure it's true in any town, but like here, it seems to be like you can play some pretty decent shows as a local band and you'll be all right. Um, but 
it's really hard to make a living as a band, especially. Oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah, solo is a lot easier. Um, but, yeah, as a band, it's tough. Just a lot of overhead. Has your band considered touring? No. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. Yeah, we have. But then I just realized that, that I just don't think that's a really smart idea. Why? Well, the reason that, the reason that we've all come up with is that what would be the incentive for someone in another city other than Austin to come see us play. So if, if they've never heard our song on a radio or Spotify or any of those avenues, and we just show up on a Tuesday night in, let's say, Nashville, Tennessee, it's another decent music town, why would someone come out to this place on a Tuesday night in yeah. Nashville, Tennessee, when they've got Netflix, Prime Video, sports in the evening? Like, there has to be a good reason to get people. It's hard to get out. Like, the people... There's easier reasons to stay in, so you have to provide them a reason to come out. And I think without any incentive or like, oh my God, I've heard those guys before, they're really great, I can't see that being good. And it, it costs a lot of money to rent the car, to find lodging. Um, a lot of times you sit, do very uncomfortable, you're staying very uncomfortable sittings just to do uh, maybe one or two good shows. Yeah. Um, but I just, I just logistically and financially, for me, it never really made that much sense. I can see as a solo person doing it because I think there's something about a solo person going around, playing from town to town. The overhead's low. You're almost kind of treated as like you're on a little vacation. <laughs> because really all you need is your guitar, maybe an amp, because most places might have their own amplification. Yeah. And that's like a very bohemian way of traveling around. Yeah. The band, it's like, it just makes it really so I can see doing it solo, but um, it, like I'm going to, I'll be in Northern Ireland and Edinburgh in about a month. Wait, seriously? Yeah. That's so, so cool. So a friend of mine lives over there and she's married to her Northern Irish husband, um, who's a musician over there too. And there's the uh, South by Southwest equivalent in Edinburgh, Scotland called the Fringe, Fringe Fest. And you basically say, hey, I'd love to play. And they have music all day. So I'm playing like 1 p.m. slots on a Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Yes! And they're probably not going to pay me that much money, but it's a fun thing to say, right? Oh, I've played, yeah, I've played in Scotland, I've played in Northern Ireland, you know. I've, I've played abroad. Hell yeah. yeah! And then you get, to, you play an hour slot, and then you get to go visit the city for the rest of the day. It's a great thing. Yeah. Um, whereas imagine being a band doing that. You have to fly your drums across the ocean. Yeah. All your amplification. You know, yet also the power situation is different because they use a different power system. You have to get all the adapters and everything. So it just makes a lot more sense um, to have some money behind you before you tour and some notoriety. Being yeah. Uh, but if you're solo, I think it, it's just more of an adventure. I think it's more an adventure than you can do. That makes sense. Does it make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I don't know. That's the last <laughs> that's, part I thought. It's totally understandable. If you were able to get to a point where maybe you could open for a band on a tour. Would you consider yeah. that as a band? I mean, that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Uh, because I think it would be like an apprenticeship. Because you could really learn oh, okay. a lot from those people. Um, and you make uh, music, just like any business, is about contacts. Yeah, yeah. So you want to know people who can recommend you to other people. And you want to give them a good impression. And, um, yeah, a lot of it's about that whole adage of who you know. It's right. really true. Apprenticeships can help you try something new and gain helpful experiences without all the pressure of being the main attraction. 
Go out in the world with an open mind, and you might be surprised what opportunities come your way. I'm a big fan of always talking to people, like what you're doing now. I think this is so brilliant. Because Thank you. You'll learn so much from so many people's mistakes <laughs> that it, it, it will make you such a better person. Like, um, I've always been a huge fan of that. Like, so many people have fucked up before me. I don't want to fuck up. Let me learn from theirs. And uh, it's been a good barometer of success in life. But there is also the danger of acquiring too much data and then just being frozen. Yes. What do I do? Because someone says, go tour. And then someone like me is like, don't tour. Like, well, what do I do? That was and me at the end of the day, you just have to make the decision. Yeah. And then you find out, you, then you assess for yourself if it was good or not. Yeah. Or if it just was, right? Like, it's some, you know, something, sometimes things don't have to be bad or good. They just, they just existed. And, um, and you could put the label on it or you can't. Yeah. Um, I mean, either way, you learn something from it. Yeah. And it depends on how you look at it. Because I think that most people in their life, even if it was shitty, would like to go on tour. I think it's a fun thing to say. The feeling of acquiring too much data is something I've experienced, and so have many other musicians. If you find yourself feeling stuck and unsure of where to move next, just pick one thing. Focus on it. And do your best work to build momentum with that one thing. If it works, great. You have momentum started in that direction, and it will keep on building. If it doesn't work, that's okay too. You learn, readjust, and try something else. I wish I would have had more belief in my own ability when I was younger. Um, I wish I would have told myself that you have something that other people would kill for. And you should take advantage of this instead of thinking about all the bad things that can happen. Think about all the good things that can happen. Yeah. Um, I wish that, um, I think one thing I learned really early on is that it wasn't about me, it's about other people. Um, my performance is not about me. And it was about making other people happy. And one of the ways that you can make people happy is actually look happy on stage. At least for my style of music. Um, because no one likes, no one's, you know, people mirror what they see and if they see you having a good time you're really happy about it yeah like if you hear someone laughing you can't help but laugh too like there's something about like our mirror neurons in our brain that make us want to you know empathize and want to feel what we're feeling um that's something i learned early on too towards the end of our conversation i asked josh what things he wished he would have known when he was first starting to build his career as a musician recently that was really good is like when you're somewhat successful as a musician um you can think that things are beneath you and that and a friend of mine was actually telling us the other day she's like don't ever think that because what you think's beneath you is what somebody's trying to get and yeah and i thought that was a really profound statement because it's this sense of entitlement like what worked hard so i don't have to do that anymore <laughs> She's like, but her point was like, the reason you did this in the first place is because you love it. So don't put a price tag on it or you're going to really taint the thing that you love. And I thought that was a really good point. Um, so I think that was the thing I learned recently. 
And I think that's good advice for anybody who's doing anything that they love. Like the minute you put price tags on things that you do, um, it's going to really affect not just your life, but the way you approach it and the people that you have around in your life. Um, Yeah. It's fun too to teach younger musicians and people who are getting into it so that they can not make the same mistakes that you did and that you can give them the confidence that they need to do it. Because that's, that was one of the hardest things for me, uh, is just being confident. And I just remember being so nervous and shy, especially when I was 25. I came back to Austin to do the music scene, and um, I just remember, <laughs> I remember I took a tip jar to an open mic, because that was all I've done. I just took tip jars to play. It was not a kosher thing to do. Nope, but no one made fun of me. They were just very, very nice. They came up to me after and was like, that was, a, that was a great set. You did a great job. And um, they're so supportive. And um, and I just remember, like, that felt so good for people to actually care about you. Because we live in a world where a lot of people, first of all, are just struggling to pay rent. So they have to focus on themselves by default. And secondly, where a lot of people, it's really hard for them to focus on others. It's... Uh, we're in a very disconnected, even though we're more connected than ever. So to yeah. have a community of musicians who actually care about the inner workings of your soul to like hear you sing your own songs on stage and listen, um, that was such a wonderful thing to have. So um, if you are a musician out there, go find an open mic and play your songs, meet people, shake hands, because um, it'll be the best decision you've ever made. That's solid. I definitely am glad that you pointed out the power of open mics because anyone that tries to, uh, what's the word? I mean, I guess just put down an open mic is what I'm trying to say, but like you could be, or at least you could think you're the greatest hotshot out there. But if you cannot by yourself with one instrument, make a crowd of people stop talking and listen to you, then what are you actually doing on stage? And how do you know you're good at what you're doing? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, doing it by yourself with one instrument is really hard. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, I feel like everyone at the end of the day gets a little frustrated going to open mics because inevitably there are a few people where it's like, okay, it's not exactly the most enjoyable thing to listen to, but it's all, I feel like it's part of the process because you listen to them, they listen to you. And in the midst of that, you become a better musician, they become a better musician and you become a better performer because you learn, okay, if I want to be better than that person who did not really engage the audience or make them want to listen what can I do differently but also how can I still be kind to that person who I might otherwise it be it could be so easy to just like look down your nose at them and be like oh I'm so much better than you I don't even need to try and talk to you right you know stuff like that so there are very much those thoughts that go through your mind yeah um, and I have to shake those off a lot um, because at the end of the day yeah like you said open mics are just for expression yeah you don't know walking down the street who has music inside of them and uh, that's what open mics are for. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Josh Klaus. If you'd like to learn more about his music, social media, or how to book him to play your event, I've put all the links you need in the show notes. One last thing before you go today. 
There are techniques, strategies, and routines that work best for different people. With that in mind, I encourage you to consider this. Do some research, ask around, and find a good open mic in your area. Go to it. Have open ears and see what songs get the audience to pay attention and listen. Then when it's your turn, see what you can do to better engage the audience with your own performance. Good luck!